We were able to provide some bikes to the uh, vaccination team at Imperial and something, you know, a proportion of their team were using public transport to get in and out of the uh, in and out of the labs every day. And we thought that was crazy because strategically, you know, this team is super important to us or potentially super important to us. And fortunately, we were able to offer them, a, you know, a handful of bikes that now now means that, that, you know, they don't need to take buses or tubes into into work. We did it at no cost. So there's no, you know, there's no cost to the Imperial team. We just, we just wanted to, um, to help out. Hi, this is Akash Kapoor, and you are listening to What's the Problem? To give some context to today's episode, this was actually my first recording. We recorded this in April, long before lockdown measures were eased in London. Over the course of the coronavirus pandemic, there have been initiatives and plans within London to actually make cycling easier and safer. Because of that, I'm extremely excited for the direction that companies like Dash are heading. Additionally, now that we're in a slightly better time than we were in April, uh, looking back, this really shows great insight into how resilient leaders can take the worst of times and, and use it as a means of transitioning and pivoting. David Watkins, the co-founder of Dash, does a really good job here of explaining how they pivot as well as how they continue to stick to their initial motives. I'm extremely excited to introduce a good friend as my first guest, David Watkins. David is a former Jaguar Land Rover engineer who's now the co-founder of Dash, a micromobility company. David, how's it going? Yeah, good, thank you, how are you? Yeah, I'm great, thank you, and thank you for being here. Let's dig right into it. With Dash, what's the problem you're trying to solve and, and maybe give a bit of a, a briefing what the company is? Yeah, sure. I mean, if we start with the problem, we recognize that businesses waste a lot of time and money moving, that is transporting uh, employees. We also recognize that those same businesses are under kind of increasing pressure to embrace sustainability. But often, and, and I know this, you know, from, from my kind of corporate past, that's often seen as a, a direct trade-off with profitability. Sometimes it is, but I would argue that a lot of the time it, it isn't. And um, and certainly the approach that we've taken is, is, is that it isn't, you know, that we can find uh, a space that actually helps businesses to to save time, money, but also benefit the environment. And so what Dash is doing is we offer a subscription e-bike service that allows businesses to, to attain all those kind of benefits of, of using e-bikes but without any of the headaches of ownership. So, for example, we offer insurance, yeah, bespoke insurance product. We offer unlimited maintenance. We do carbon offsetting with the electricity. And the idea is you just make it as easy as possible for businesses to kind of adopt e-bikes as a legitimate mode of transport um, without without necessarily having it, all the kind of drawbacks of fleet management and all of the kind of pain that you would get with with with, with doing that. I think as well it's worth mentioning that I think a lot of micromobility companies have a particularly bad name. Um, and certainly when I was speaking to all kinds of people uh, over the last six months or so, I'd always feel a little bit dirty when I say e-bike <laughs> or something, you know, it's always like, oh, yeah, it's just a it has this, yeah, <laughs> it negative perception. Right. Um and you look at the big mobility players, you look at Lime, Bird, Jump, all of those kind of big dockless players. They have this uh, this land and expand mentality. Yeah. So uh, drop a load of bikes or scooters into an area and try and capture capture as many users as you can and, and therefore kind of capture the territory. Now, my view for a long time has been 
that mentality is a really poor, unsustainable one. Yeah, so it's it's fueled by poorly allocated VC funds. It's based on crazy valuations, by the way, of which we're now starting to see because of coronavirus, those valuations be reined in. Um, but most most critically, a really shaky business model. So the the way in which they were doing the way in which they've approached the business is is very unsustainable so you know every night they're going around they're touching all of these bikes or scooters they're picking them up um, or picking the batteries up they're recharging them redistributing them across cities and that has a huge operational cost um it's you know it's a it's a really unsustainable way of doing it doing things um both operationally but also to to the environment um and we at dash want to be known as a a sustainable micromobility venture so one that benefits cities and their inhabitants um so yeah that's that's <laughs> answered your question it's quite a lengthy uh, response i recognize yeah i mean you touched on a lot i gave myself a note to at some point revisit the the carbon offsetting you mentioned but um so you talked about uh looking at businesses and their perspective and uh, how they're trying to help their individuals and you know some of the the companies you mentioned like lime uh, they're maybe targeting more uh, a b2c market um you know so what kinds of businesses are you looking at to, to distribute to uh, is there a difference in terms of who you're reaching out to yeah sure well to to be honest um as with much of the world everything's been kind of turned upside down over the last few months uh with coronavirus and we we've been effectively trying to pivot to to help you know we recognize we're in we're in we're in some form of position to to help out here because what we're seeing is a massive shift in the uh modality in which people are uh, uh moving around particularly within cities so we know that when when the lockdown lifts for example um people are going to be avoiding public transport like crazy you know yeah. i mean I, I certainly will be and i'm sure you will be um and 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 with that and then people are going to be encouraged to avoid public transport and with that what you will see is people moving away from public transport towards uh other more private forms of transport like like micro mobility but also potentially private cars and, and things like that um and so what we've been trying to do is try and kind of pivot our strategy more towards how can we help corporations that need to get employees from A to B or commuting into the office and out? How can we support those businesses and help them protect their employees? And I think there's going to be a massive, massive surge in demand for that kind of area because there are so many people that will need to go into the office. I, you know, I recognize completely that many people, probably the majority of kind of office workers will be working from home for the foreseeable future. But some of the interviews that we've conducted have, have yielded some really interesting results where we recognize the kind of we take professional services firms, for example, the top tier partners, directors, whatever you want to call them. They're pretty happy working from home. They have offices <laughs> at home. They have nice comfy chairs, brilliant setups, you know, working from home couldn't bother them in the slightest. But actually, as you start to move down the company towards the kind of masses, there's a lot of people that are really quite unhappy with working from home. So don't get me wrong. There are benefits. You know, you can 
wake up later, you don't have to commute, you can do more exercise, all those kind of, you know, all the things that we've been hearing lots about. But actually, if you live in a flat share or a one bed flat, chances are you're probably going to get quite uncomfortable quite quickly. And and certainly some of the feedback we've heard from some of these partners has been that there is a, a lot of demand from employees to come back to the office in some form, you know, whether that's one day a week or, or whatever. And so there, there is absolutely going to be a need to move people around. And as soon as people start using public transport, for example, you know, their risk of infection increases massively. So that's kind of where we've where we've pivoted our business towards. Um, we spent a lot of the last few months talking to people, just trying to kind yeah. of understand what that what that landscape looks like. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's a very different world um, from what it was yeah. at the start of the year uh, when we were working with various kind of logistics firms and stuff. It's it's I'm sure that all of that kind of activity and all all our you know previous customers will still keep going, but uh, in some capacity. But I'm I'm I think a slightly different approach is needed now now that we're in a in a kind of post coronavirus world. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely feel that sentiment. I'm in the same seat where I've where I watch television, where I eat dinner. Going back to those businesses, is there kind of a, a risk element as well that you're trying to to pitch them that you know maybe some of their uh, employees are at risk if they do push them to go to the office too quickly, uh, even if they maybe want to, uh, that you're kind of providing some kind of insurance by having them avoid public transit? Yeah, no, 100%. And um, I guess we will find out in a kind of week's time as to exactly <laughs> what the... Um, what the what the story what the plan is at a, a national at a government scale i think it's worth worth saying we've recorded this before uh, any back to work uh, initiatives have yeah. been been released by the government so i i there's definitely a safety angle of you know of course you know the businesses need to protect their employees as best they can for nothing else if you know if i put my hardcore capitalist business hat on you're protecting the teams you know you're protecting the the integrity of the business because if you're allowing one person to come in on public transport or a handful of people to come in on public transport if they come in and then they infect the whole office you know where's your where's your integrity and your um integrity is not the best word to use uh, resilience that's the right word where's where's the resilience there right you know and so I guess there's a kind of there's a there's a, a safety aspect in a at an individual level, but then there's also a resilience aspect at a more organisational level. You know, we we know that people are HR teams around the country are scratching their heads trying to work out how to how to wrestle with this uh, magic uh, formula. Exactly. Yeah. 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 How, how to get people back to to work in some capacity? Right. And I obviously see the uh, the desire to have your product in London. Uh, where else have you maybe touched point and and where else are you looking to distribute so i mean cities are cities are great because they you know have been growing massively uh there's always that statistic of uh by 2050 a third of the world's population or half the world's population will be in cities i think that that's that's misleading and I, I actually <laughs> look at europe and you look at north america that is already the case you know it's already we're already at that point you see these growth of cities the establishment of mega cities and moving people around as those cities grow is a really important element uh to the success of those cities and um you know just having cars on the streets driving around is not sustainable um and you actually need to look at all these kind of different modes of transport and how they interact with each other and so we definitely see cities as being an important area for 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 us to target as a company however on top of that there are lots of other instances so we've worked with 
companies in different parts of the UK, so in more rural parts that operate logistics uh, logistics companies and you know that might purely be moving people around land where previously employees would have walked it would have taken them 30 40 minutes but now they have you know a fleet of e-bikes they can hop on an e-bike and it takes them 10 minutes so you kind of see these efficiency savings i i, I see i see london as being the kind of hub of 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 where we are uh, rolling dash out but then there will be there will be satellites around that hub yeah, I'm sure with the coronavirus push that you're talking about, you know, no one wants to hop on the Jubilee line right now. So, <laughs> but yeah, uh, could you talk a bit about your team? I know you have a co-founder. Uh, you know how you two got together and whoever else you built out. Yeah, of course. So, yes, yeah, so I I am a co-founder. My my co-founder Jamie, he we were actually school friends. So we went to the same school. We actually used to play football together. That's how we knew each other. We were on the same football team. Yeah. (laughs) A long, long time ago. And there is actually, there is quite a funny photo of us in one of the classic uh, football team, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. which yes, I will keep hidden. We'll never see. (laughs) But um, so, yeah, we, and we actually, we hadn't really spoken much um, or at all since, since school. So it had been, you know, well over kind of 10 years since, since we'd last spoken to each other. And through the MBA, you know, one of the things that we're advised to do is to just go and talk to people. And I'm a, I'm a, I've always been a, a big advocate of that message, but even more so now, I think it's, it's, you know, talking to people is, and just meeting people, telling people what you're doing, asking about what they're doing, trying to understand the world from their perspective is awesome because that's that's exactly how I met Jamie. You know, we I reached out to him and we um, started going for some coffees. Uh, my background was was automotive, so I was always interested in the mobility space. I knew Jamie was doing some interesting things, and um, and yeah, we we kind of it just kind of naturally uh, naturally grew from there. In terms of the rest of the team, so at the moment we have two MBA Imperial MBA students that are helping us. So. We have uh, Eric and Anka, both full-time Imperial MBAs, doing a range of different a range of different uh, uh, activities for us. And yeah, I, that's that's basically the team at the moment. That's a kind of short-term arrangement. Who knows whether it'll continue, um, you know, well into the summer and longer. But but yeah, that's that's who we are. Yeah, I mean, with with Eric and Anka, that's an obvious uh, benefit from the MBA. I mean, what else have you been able to leverage over the year of being a full-time MBA at Imperial? Uh, directly into Dash? Uh, good question. I think, um, I mean, sometimes something that you and I have spoken about before, sometimes Imperial is a great excuse to go and talk to people. I've definitely used that trump card a few times when speaking to suppliers, customers, that kind of thing. You know, it's a great institution, uh, very, very well known. And um, people listen when you say, you know, I'm, I'm a student at Imperial, uh, especially if you have an Imperial email address. So that's that's one of the things. I think as well, a lot of the a lot of the course that we've done through the MBA has I don't know just given me an appreciation for various aspects that previously you know I came from an engineering technical background, and the course has broadened my horizons into lots of areas, business areas that I previously had very limited experience in, and that has allowed me I guess just maybe to kind of understand understand the landscape better, understand the strategy, the opportunities, how to approach things. Even sometimes it's just how to talk to people, um, you know, understanding the language and what phrases you can use or understand when someone uses some uh, some 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 kind of uh, new frameworks that you'd not 
or previously not heard of it's to be able to understand them and and respond i think that's some of the most useful um useful things that i've gained yeah i'm sure it's it's helpful as well to have it top of the mind um especially when you're looking to pivot you know while you you're changing your distribution i'm sure it also changed your marketing right from or you can correct me if i'm wrong but i'm assuming it changed a bit away from uh, maybe the environmental aspects and more of safety. Yeah, I mean the the environment is still the the way that I frame it in my mind now is we have an urgent demand to help move people through coronavirus, and uh, the, the, yes, there is a big safety aspect to that. However, I still see this as just a, an acceleration of the long term trend that is moving people away from heavy, inefficient modes of transport that use you know burn fossil fuels and moving them into smaller lighter uh, electrified vehicles that you know they aren't the magic bullet they're not going to fix everything on their own but they're part of a number of changes that we need to to, to make to move towards a sustainable future and i just see the coronavirus as a as a kind of accelerant for those for those long-term trends uh, i want to touch on uh you mentioned carbon offsetting a few minutes ago be interested in exactly what you guys are doing uh to achieve that we have a uh, a carbon offsetting partner that we work very closely with. And forgive me because I'm not an expert in this world, but um, there are different levels of carbon offsetting. And I think there is some form of regulation around it. Uh, our partner provides the, you know, the absolute top, top of the top of the, the list. And, you know, down the line, we have some some intelligent plans with tech elements that will allow us to really specifically offset exactly how much electricity is being used to uh, to power all these devices but in the in the short term you know that there are kind of simpler ways of doing that just on a kind of pro rata basis so yeah that it is there's nothing too uh, too exciting in there i'm afraid definitely a value add and I, I can see the perspective from the businesses uh, still wanting to take that on for sure i think dash recently posted something on social media about uh, a COVID response. Um, it's an interesting story. I think it'd be interesting to hear from your perspective and uh, and maybe who you're looking to help. Yeah, of course. So we, I mean, all the stuff I mentioned earlier about businesses and that's the kind of more medium term. We recognize that in the short term, actually, there's some really useful stuff we can do very quickly to help out key workers. So um, people that are still traveling to and from work. Um, certainly within London, TFL, usership of the TFL network decreased by something like 90% within uh, a matter of weeks when when lockdown happened and as a result they had to uh, reduce the number of services and obviously that just means that you increase the the amount of usership on any given service because they're, they're less frequent and what we wanted to do was to try and offer key workers a different way of getting in and out of the office um, we knew that it was something that Brompton were uh, actively involved with so Brompton the semi-famous or very famous in 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 my eyes at least uh, british folding bike brand um we knew that they they were doing something in the space and so you know we previously hadn't really been in touch with them we got in touch with them and um with them we were able to uh in partnership provide some bikes to the uh vaccination team at imperial so the imperial vaccination team are i think basically them and oxford university are the two leading covid vaccine teams in the uk uh and something you know a proportion of their team were using public transport to get in and out of the uh in and out of the labs every day and we thought that was crazy because strategically you know this team is super important to us or potentially super important to us and fortunately we were able to offer them a you know a handful of bikes that has now now means that, that you know they don't need to take buses or tubes into into work 
we did it at no cost so there's no you know there was no cost to the imperial team we just we just wanted to um like i say we were in a position to and wanted to help out um more longer term we have some fairly serious conversations with the nhs barts trust which is which is still ongoing so yeah until until that's finalized i don't want to talk too much about it but there is other stuff um in the pipeline which um which hopefully we're we're able to help with do you do you see any of those people who are now getting free transport uh sort of micro mobility service do you see any of them still taking the tube or you know still Um, being afraid to ride a, a bike in the street or anything like that so no, so I mean I follow this kind of stuff fairly closely on Twitter and, and whatever other sources I can glean. Because of the drop in traffic, and I'm really only speaking about London here because um, that's the kind of closest to me and the, the one that I know, I know. There has been a massive drop in traffic, so there is not that many cars on the road. And I've been, you know, for my daily allowed exercise, I've been out cycling just just to get some exercise and try and stay sane every day. The roads are empty. There is still some traffic on the main roads, but the, the majority of, of kind of London typical traffic has, has gone. It's a lot safer environment to cycle. There's less pollution in the air, so you can actually breathe. Um, so no, at the, at the moment, it is a perfect time to be cycling. Right. And then going forward, do you think, is there anything that you maybe have an eye on in terms of trying to make it more attractive? Or are you just seeing that more people are willing to to cycle than maybe before? I think one of one of the other safety is always like it's a massive concern, and um, we do have we have been in touch with and working with a few startups that work specifically on bike safety. So, and there's some interesting kind of areas there because I think that could be a really unique selling point for for, for the business. But the I think that one of the other kind of long term I mentioned earlier long term trends. One of the other long term trends we're seeing is uh, actually this kind of awakening of of the public to how poor the air quality is for the underground and that's metros across the world you know they all have a, a, a different kind of severity because of the amount of ventilation or differing differing amounts of ventilation they have the tube is is pretty bad um, particularly the deep lines uh northern line piccadilly line because what happens is the tubes rattle around and you know when they come to a stop in a station braking and under heavy braking you're getting lots of brake dust and that dust has nowhere to go other than to circulate around um some really interesting articles um one particular in the financial times that basically they gave some of their journalists these air quality monitors and um yeah that you know on certain times of the day they are multiple the, the quality of the air down there is multiple times worse than um what it is at street level and it's multiple times over the you know the world health organization recommended guideline or safe guideline and so i think we're seeing sort of a trend away from the underground on that aspect but then also just more generally all of the different forms of transport public transport particularly in rush hours and peak times um they're uncomfortable yeah they're very stressful you know I honestly hate taking the tube at, at, at rush hour. I, I I hate being crammed into a tube. I'm not claustrophobic or anything like that. I just like my space, and um, and and being crammed in, you know, with a with a hundred other people into one small tube is um, is is not my idea of fun. Um, and so yeah, so and and the same with the buses, right? Because the buses get stuck in the traffic, and I find that cycling is. And, and these kind of other forms of micro mobility that we've been talking about, they're just, they're just a, a much more efficient way to get around uh, cities, both from a kind of personal t- uh, 
aspect in, in the form of time. So the time it would take for me to get from here to South Kensington on a bicycle is 15, 20 minutes. On a bus, at kind of standard during the daytime, 40 minutes. And I think it's actually 45 minutes on the tube because of the kind of the, the route that it has to go. And so, um, yeah, you see it both from a personal element, but also from from a, uh, a more macro element where they are more efficient in terms of moving people than public transport as a whole, you know, aggregated across the whole of the service. So the, the whole of the service divided by the number of people, you know, the amount of CO2, certainly for TfL, I think last year was something like 45 grams of CO2 per kilometre. The kind of fleet average, um, it takes me back to my automotive days, but I think the fleet average for last year across the EU for cars was 120 grams of co2 so you see those like really big numbers of kind of uh, carbon efficiency and then typical ones for uh micro mobility um for an e-bike say it's it's down in the kind of one to three range grams per kilometer now there's loads of other factors you have to take into consideration like you know the manufacturing life life cycle all that kind of other stuff i'm just talking about usage here but right. just gives you an idea that actually you know public transport can be really efficient but across the whole of the uh the network i i still see um micro mobility and having a really important role to play moving forward yeah yeah i, th- I can see from the i just hate waiting for things and i think uh, the big attraction I see in micromobility or even just walking instead of taking the tube is having ownership of it, you know, not having to wait. Uh, I just worked in Boston and there I would go out of my way to, to walk instead of taking the, the train, even if it was double, triple the amount, just so that I could control it personally yeah. um, instead of being stuck somewhere. So I definitely, definitely feel that sentiment. I mean, we've, we've been speaking. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Definitely want to, uh, uh, to make sure that you don't leave though without answering our last question. While running Dash, what has been maybe a uh, a strong moment of clarity or a big learning lesson for you? Ooh, good question. Um, okay, yeah, I, yes. So um, for me personally, this is the first um, my first startup. You know, it's the first time that I'm actually trying to launch and and build a business um, of my own with my co-founder. And and the biggest learning lesson that I've had, and it's probably not particularly useful to to your users, but sorry to your um, your listeners, is just that it's a hundred percent what I want to be doing. You know, it is. I think it's one of those things where I was pretty confident that I wanted to pursue something entrepreneurially, uh, pursue something of my own. But it wasn't until I actually started working on Dash and started uh, started working through everything that we've been doing that. Yeah, this is a hundred percent where I want to be. What I want to be doing, I think as well. You know, it's it's really hard work. Uh, people say that. People say that all the time, and yeah, I always remember thinking, ah, oh, you know, is it is it you know, <laughs> can't be that hard? It is. It's it's very hard, and it's very hard mentally because even though you have that freedom, that flexibility to pursue whatever you want, you know, I, I wake up in the morning and I I set my goals for the day, what I need to get done. It's it's all it's all derived, driven by me, but you doubt yourself you know and that is that is really really tough and it's certainly one of those things where i think i wouldn't be able to do this uh without a co-founder and i think that uh, having a co-founder is so important so so important because not only do you make better decisions because you bounce decisions off each other 
but actually you know you keep each other motivated on those kind of dark days when you're really doubting yourself they um you, you keep yourself motivated so yeah it's absolutely not for everyone and i i, re- I recognize that but it's one of those things that until you try it uh, i think you, you you won't know until you've tried it i do think that is probably pretty useful for a lot of my users listeners um because some of them might be on the edge uh, or, or looking at projects and, and deciding either how to uh, transfer it into an actual business and maybe they're looking at co-founders or uh, just hearing talks like this might help push them over the edge. So I appreciate that insight. Uh, thank you, David. really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, thank you for your time because um, it's, um, it's been a pleasure actually talking to you this morning. Really, really, uh, really enjoyed it. And that was David Watkins from Dash. Thank you for listening. For specific updates on Dash or for updates on micromobility more broadly, please follow Dash on Twitter at Dash underscore mobility.